Good evening. Again, as Noah already said, I'm so excited that you have chosen to be here with us tonight. And it's so encouraging to see all of your faces, to hear the discussion that's already starting. We haven't even dig dug into Colossians yet. And so I'm so excited to walk through this book with you, but also, and this is what our primary goal is going to be, we're going to be looking at how do we study our Bible well, right? How do we come to understand the Bible as God intended it to be understood? And so as we walk through that, we're going to just give you some of the foundational principles of what it means to do Bible study well. And as you see each of us, we're all kind of different, even in how we do Bible study. And I hope that's an encouragement to you because there's not just one simple way to do Bible study. There's not just one simple way for us to approach God's word. Now, there are some, some wrong ways and some right ways, and we're gonna talk a little bit about that, but as we come to understand the text, as we come to enter into fellowship with our Lord and King, according to his word that he's given us so that we might know him, so that we might love him, so that we might know also that he loves us, right? That he has called us to be his sons, and his daughters, and he's calling us to take part in his kingdom uh, here, in our own lives, in the lives of our family, and in the lives of all of those around us. And so, this week, we're going to talk about just some of the foundational building blocks. We're going to talk about, let's get these three things right. Observe, interpret, apply. Right? You probably see those in three big Big words right there on your notes, observe, interpret, apply. And these are going to kind of be the foundation. These are going to be the bricks by which we kind of build this house so that we can understand God's word well. And as we do that, what we're hoping to do in this class is kind of give you a little bit of practice right here in this room, right here in this room with other people who are thinking like-minded so that when you go home and you apply this, any questions that you might have had, you be like, oh, I remember so-and-so said this. I remember this person had this insight. And as we continue to walk this journey, right, the Bible study and understanding God's word, it is a journey, right? We grow and we develop in that. Where you are is not where I am. Where Noah is, it's not where I am. Where Brother Steve is, it's not where I am, right? He's been doing this for a very long time, but he started somewhere. And he started, like many of us, at ground zero, and he opened the text, he read it, he observed it, he interpreted it, and he continually applied that to his life. And over time, and God has used that. God has given fruit to that. And he's grown into a deeper relationship with the Lord, with those around him, with his family, and with those who he loves. So I say all of that because I don't want you to become discouraged at any point in this class. I don't want you to feel like, oh, like that's, that's too much for me, or oh, like that's, I already know that. Because what's the most important is that we have a plan, that we have a strategy, and that we're disciplined in how we do our Bible study. And you're going to see that, right? What is Bible study? I've kind of written up this definition of what I think Bible study uh, is most like, at least in my life, and how I've come to understand it. And that is the discipline of closely reading the Bible, to understand it and apply it as it was intended, right? So this, this element of it being a discipline, right? We have to kind of work at it. Right? It doesn't just happen upon us and we're now studying our Bible perfectly without even 
taking the time. It's like anything. We have to exercise those muscles. We have to exercise those skills. And as we continually do that, right, that discipline bears fruit. And the discipline is to read it, to read it closely. Don't just gloss over the Bible. The Bible is unlike any book in the world. It's unlike any book that you will ever read. In it, the creator of the universe, the God who sent his son to die on a cross so that we might know him, has revealed himself. We don't know God outside of this text. There is no God that we know, the right God. We don't know the right God outside of this text. This is how he's chosen to say, Josiah, this is who I am. This is who, I, who, who you are. And this is the relationship that I would like to have with you. And this is how. Right? This is how that relationship plays itself out. So if that is what the Bible is, if that is what Bible study is, that means our approach should be in a way that reflects what Scripture is and what we expect from it. Right? Scripture is wholly authoritative over our lives. Right? Everything in this, in this book is God's Word. So it has the right to tell us how we ought to live. Right? It stands as the supreme authority in our lives. So we don't come to it like another text where we, we stand over it and we determine what it means. We determine what it says. We kind of throw out the good that we think. We keep some of whatever we, we like and what feels good to us. No, we, we approach it and it reads us. Right? It comes and we, we are read by the text. Hebrews 4 talks about how God's word is living and active. Right? It discerns our hearts and our intentions. And because of that, we come to the text humbly. We come to the text prayerfully. We come to the text in faith that God will speak to us. And then we submit to his word in obedience. And so, to start off, we should pray. We should submit ourselves to the text and dive in to Colossians 1. Dear Lord, we love you and we thank you. We're so grateful for who you are and all that you've done. And Father, I ask that in this time that we have together, you would make yourself known to us through your text so that we might be drawn into a deeper relationship with you, that we might come to know the love that you have for us. Lord, who you are and how great you are. And so that when we leave this place, God, we will be closer to you than we were when we came. I pray, God, over all that we are going to learn today, I pray that you would be present in me, Lord, so that you would be exalted through all that is said today. I pray that you would be present in the minds of everyone here so that their hearts and their minds might be illuminated to who you are and what you have called them to. Where we love you and we thank you. We're so grateful that we can know you. We're so grateful for your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. So, today's class, as I've already said, we're going to talk about observing the text, interpreting the text, and then applying the text. So step one, we're going to observe the text. What does it mean to observe the text? This is the most foundational tool that we have to do Bible study well. We have to know what the text says. We have to look at it factually. We have to look at it closely, and we want to take the time 
to just get to know what the text says. That's step one. Know what it says. Know what it says. And now the temptation at every step down the road is going to be to kind of start to apply it, to try to start to find meaning. But what I'm saying is that if you would just hold off just a little bit, wait, take the time to observe and follow these three simple steps, right? At the end, when we get to the application, the fruit that is born will be so much more rich. It'll be so much more beneficial. And we'll know that what we have to say about how this applies to our lives will be true to the way that God intended it, will be true to the way that he used the human authors to write it. So observe, read, take notes on the facts of the text and ask simple questions. What does the text say? What stands out? What is exactly going on? This is kind of some of the detective questions. Who, what, when, where, how, right? Pay attention to all of those details as you search the text and you observe what is in it. We want to look at the text and want to put our eyes on it, right? And we want to observe what it has to say. So step one, go ahead, everybody at a table, we're going to kind of talk about this at your tables. If you're over here, go ahead and try to talk about observing and what you observe in the text with those around you. And I've given you notes that you can kind of write down what you're doing. And what we're going to do, because I believe that the best way to study the Bible is to read the whole book first. Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to read all four chapters right now. But every table is going to handle one chapter. One chapter, we got four chapters in Colossians. That's part of the reason why we picked it. We got four weeks, four chapters. We're going to knock it out. So we're going to start right here. You guys are going to be group one. Group one, you're going to cover chapter one. And I want you to observe the text. Take notes and look at what it says. Share what that is with one another. One of you can read it out loud and the others can write down notes. And then we'll come back. We'll kind of talk about this. You're going to be group two. Chapter two. All right, this is where it gets a little tricky because it's not just going to be chapter three and you have this written down. You're going to cover chapter three, verses one through 17. Chapter three, one through 17, that's right there on the notes. You're group three. And then group four, you're going to cover chapter three, 18 through chapter four, 18. I know it's a lot, but at the end of the book, Paul is kind of going through this greeting and um, kind of encouraging section. And I want us to get that, but I also want there to be a little bit more engagement with some of the other texts in the passage. So your group four, we'll start back over at one over here. One, two, three, four. One, one, yep. Two, three. All righty, now we get over here. <laughs> How about you guys will be group four? One, next row back, two, three. Right there, four. You guys will be group one. You guys will be group two. Drew, Sarah, you guys in the back. Y'all are group three. Perfect. Is everybody clear on the text that you are handling? All righty. Go ahead. Take some time. Observe the text. Do we need more time? We're working still? Okay, we got it. All right, you gotta look hard. Look hard, I'm gonna give you a quiz on every, every text after this.
All right, everyone. Let's go ahead and bring it back in for just a little bit. I hate to cut your discussion short, but I hope that this gave you a little bit of a taste of what it's like to observe the text. I hope that this was a good exercise for you, and I am about to ask you about what, what did you observe? And so, group ones, those who covered chapter one, what things did you observe in the text? And if you noticed any key themes kind of rise to the top, go ahead and let the class know about those. You guys, go ahead and let us know what it is that you kind of observed in chapter one, and then what key theme did you identify in that text? focus on Christ, not false teachers or legalism, Gnosticism, secret knowledge. Colossae was huge Jewish population and the Greeks couldn't understand Trinity concepts of human and divinity. Wow, that's a lot. That's really, really good. That's really good. Anybody else get anything? What else did you observe in the text? He is before all things and in him all things consist. That's right. That's right. Yes, that's right. So you observed that this is a letter, right? Paul is writing a letter, and there is this very personal element to this letter that he's writing to the church in Colossae. Anything else? Who wrote it? I kind of gave it away. Paul, Paul right. <laughs> Whoops. Um, who is it written to? The Colossians. It's written as a epistle, an epistle, right, and a key theme that rises to the top in chapter one, you hit it spot on, right? It's the centrality, the preeminence of Christ. In him, all things consist. In him, everything exists. And we're going to get, a little, get to that in a little bit later, but that's, that's chapter one. That's a snapshot. We could spend hours just observing all that we glean from this chapter. Right, one guy that I read, he said that there's, you can't spend too much time observing the text. Right? You can always go and you can observe more, you can glean more, you can know more. As you begin to just look at it and see, this was intentionally written. Right? Paul was intentional with every single word that he wrote. And so all of those details, they matter. They matter. What about chapter 2? Everyone who covered chapter 2, what did you guys observe in the text? Okay, what you got? Um, well, first of all, Paul's not there. Yes. And he's, he's actually writing to them. Yep. And it looks, uh, he's never been there. No, he hasn't. He hasn't. Yes, this is a very unique book. He's writing to them to encourage them and to um, not to argue and not to adopt worldly influence in their worship. That's right. That's right. What else do we observe in chapter 2? Yes, that's right. Like they're false teachings that are stuck into the church. And he's saying, like, don't believe these philosophies. Don't go on in these genealogies and traditions. That's right. What else? You started off on an introduction, apology. Yes. Some are true me, some are not. Yep. That's right. He's, he's kind of introducing himself to the church at Colossae, telling them about his ministry that God's called him to. All right, what key theme did you kind of notice in chapter 2? Well, the one thing I noticed is that they were gently torn. They had turned to Christ. Yes. Right now, some of the Jewish 
singers, okay, you got to do this. you yep. got to be like the Jews. Mm-hmm. And the Greek leaders were like, no, you can be, yeah, you need to be louder. Okay. You need to be louder. <laughs> so we can do Jesus plus. Yes. And it, our former pastor used to say, legalism is leaning too much to the right. Legalism yep. is too much to the left. But Christ is love right down That's exactly the right. That's exactly right. I have Adrianisms. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Awesome. Awesome. That's right. So a key theme that we see in chapter two is stay focused on the main thing. Stay focused on Christ. Don't lose sight because all these other people are coming in and telling you, hey, you have to do this. You have to do that. They're trying to add to the gospel. They're trying to take from the gospel. They're trying to say, no, no, you need to do these things. No. Right? Paul's saying stay focused on the main thing. Chapter 3, where are you at? What do we observe in chapter 3? 1 through 17, group 3. Well, I noticed that God's goal is to change us into the likeness of Christ. That's right. Yes, and that's why our minds keep working all the time. And he keeps telling us to keep speaking things above and set your mind on things above. That's right. Because transformation begins in the mind. Just like in James it says, sin begins with just the thought. So, you know, for us to become more Mm-hmm. Kind of things. It has to start in the mind, and the only way we can do that is to focus on Jesus. That's right. And he keeps, he has to keep calling us back because mm-hmm. our minds keep wandering, even as we're reading. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They do. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. What else? What else did we observe in chapter three, one through seventeen? Before and after? Yes. That's right. That's right. He's kind of telling them this is what it looks like to live the Christian life. There are lots of uh, commands in chapter 3. He's saying do this. Don't do this. Do this. Don't do this. That's right. Be thankful. Be thankful. Thank God. Thank God for salvation. Thank God for Christ. And what sort of theme did you observe came out of chapter three? What theme did you see in there? Something that kind of boiled up to the top that brings it all together. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. It was... Devote yourself personally and corporately to Christ, right? Not just your person, but as a church, as a community, devote yourself to Christ in him, right? That's where you have life. All right, now for the last group, those who read chapter 318 through 418, what did you observe in the text? Mm-hmm. Yep. Parents and children. Yep. Slaves and masters. That's right. And like with, the, with those three things in mind, if you apply all the stuff I've been talking about, you're probably doing it right. Yeah. But it seems like he's like focusing on those mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. Kind of makes sense. But if you uh, get those right, you're going to be able to grow up from there. Mm-hmm. Um, and another thing that I observed there was, uh, you know, he didn't change. Yeah. You know, and I, I thought about like you lock up the, 
the main bad guy. Mm-hmm. He can still run things from the prison, right? We know that we see that all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a lot of authority. Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. Write a letter like other people said to people he's never even visited. Before. Yeah, Tell yeah. Them how to live their life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what a great thing that Paul never even went to the Colossians. Right? We can read the book of Acts and Paul didn't plant this church. Right? We hear about Epaphras. They heard the message from Epaphras and he heard the message that Paul preached and this church was born. Right? This church came into being because the message, the gospel, that's where the power is. That's where redemption is. And that brought these people together. And Paul's like, all right, all right, all right. And I'm so thankful that you have come to know the Lord. This is who Jesus is. But you got to stop believing these guys that are feeding you nonsense. you got to stop turning away. Remember from whence you came. Remember Christ. Remember the gospel. Right? What else? What else came? What else did you observe in chapter 4? Yes. So what I observed in uh, 3, 18 through 4, 6. That's right. Mm-hmm. After telling you about all of this. That's right. It's all about relationships. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Beginning with the most familiar relationship, most intimate relationship. That's right. Through family and children. Mm-hmm. To bosses, fellow workers, how you should work. Yep. And also about uh, casual, everyday relationships. Yeah. With just meeting someone on the street mm. and how to speak. That's right. Mm-hmm. Now, this is how God expects us to live with one another. That's right. That's right. So what, that kind of gets at a key theme. What key theme did you see rose to the top in those verses? That part about all the relationships. Mm-hmm. One of the themes is recognizing authority, whether it's your authority or someone else. Yeah, that's really good. That's really good. What else? Any other themes? Yeah. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. I wrote that the key theme in those verses was to live like Christ would live. Right? To live like he would live in our relationships, whatever they may be, with each other, in our marriage, in our family, in our working relationships. Right? Live like Christ would live. And now, as you read and studied your text, did any questions come up? Were you kind of like, oh, like I, that was... That was confusing. I don't quite know what that meant. Uh, because what I want you to do with those, I want you to write those down. We're not going to take the time to answer them. But this is a key part of an of a observation. Right? When you read the text, you're going to go through it and you're going to have questions. Write those questions down. And as you begin to continue studying the text, you'll begin to find the answers to those questions. But write them down. Observe. If you're like, oh, like that was a little bit confusing. What does this mean? What does that word mean? We're actually going to cover what it looks like to do word studies on the last week. Noah's going to cover that. But all of these questions that you have, they're important. And so go ahead, write them down. Don't necessarily plumb and try to get the answer right now. Right? Just stick with the process for now. And the answer, you'll find the answer as you continue working through observation, interpretation, and then application. So... The next step, if you will, the next building block or brick that we're going to work on is interpreting the text. Interpretation is where we begin to synthesize all of what we've observed. 
is we're kind of coming to the text and we're going to look at it and ask, what did it mean to the Colossians? Right Earlier I said, don't quite get into application yet. Don't quite ask the question, what does this mean to me? Quite yet, because if we jump that bridge, we're going to miss what it was intended to mean. Right? Someone told me, quoting another person, I believe it was Noah, he said that the text can't mean now what it didn't mean then. Right? So if we don't take the time to understand the text as it was meant to be understood then, then when we try to bring that into our context, which is very different than the context that Paul was writing in, we're going to misapply it. We're going to miss what is intended for us to apply in this text. And so, as we look to interpret our text, as we look to interpret the Bible, the rest of our night is going to be focused on Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. So you can go ahead, you can turn your Bibles there. That's where we're going to kind of really camp out for the rest of the night is Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. And I want to talk to you a little bit about context. The reason that we read the entire book and we talked about observing the text, we talked about who wrote it, we talked about these themes that seem to be coming to the top of each of these chapters or each of these sections is because we're getting the context for the passage that we're going to look at. We're getting a context that will know what the text means. How many of you guys know that words have meaning? Right? They don't just mean the same thing at all times, all the time. I wish they did, but words change. We change the way that words mean. Some words mean completely different things. Right? Consider, consider the word uh, overlook. Right? I, I overlooked this job at work. What does that mean? I overlooked the job at work and my boss was upset that I didn't do the job he told me to do. Right? So I, I missed it. Or I overlooked this job at work and my boss was proud of the work that I did. Right? So now when we look at even that word within the context that it's said, we begin to understand better what is being communicated. And so we want to do the same thing with the Bible. We do the same thing every day in our lives. We understand that context determines the meaning of what's being said. What's being said is what we observe, and that's important. That's central. But context, and I'm getting a little bit ahead, but context is king. That's what determines and helps us come to know what the text was intended to say. And so there are different levels of context that I want us to kind of put a pin in. I want us to pay attention to. The first one is the historical context. We talked a little bit about this already. What is the context that's happening? What is going on in the world of the author in the audience? What's going on with Paul? What's going on with the Colossians? And we've talked a little bit about the historical context, right? There's false teaching. Paul's writing, he's saying, don't believe these false teachers. Return and believe Christ, right? Christ, he alone is preeminent. And so the historical context is what is going on around the situation of the text. And again, we live at a different time. And so it's important for us to know the context. And at this point, I think it will be important for me to say that context, knowing the historical context, doesn't mean that you need to go buy a bunch of commentaries so that you can understand what was going on. Those are helpful. Derek's going to cover how we use commentaries and dictionaries later. But this is what's inspired. Right? The text is what God has chosen to reveal to us. And while those things 
those outside things are helpful aids, we always want to come back to this. Those things are simply other guys who are very smart, very, very intelligent talking about this. They're coming to give light to this. And so I want to say that to you because I don't want you to feel as though knowing the historical context requires you to go out and get a doctorate in history or requires you to go out and spend all this money on commentaries. Right? Those things, again, they're helpful, but <laughs> they are not required. Right? I, God has given us everything. Right? God has given us everything required for life and godliness, and he's revealed all that we need to know right here in the text. So we must be students of the text, and we must pay attention to the historical context. And we've already proven here in this group that we can even look simply at the text and observe what's going on in the situation, observe what's going on in the history, observe why it is that Paul's writing this. Why it is that the Colossians needed to be reminded that Christ is preeminent? That's because they were, they were being distracted. People were coming in and teaching a false doctrine. They're teaching something other than Christ. And so, when we're looking to interpret, we want to consider the historical context. Another element of context is the literary context. And so this is where I really want you to focus in on those verses 15 through 20 in chapter 1. Because the literary context, that's going to be the text around the text. right? As I mentioned earlier, this is where the, the text is, and there's going to be things that come before, there's going to be things that come after, and what is written there helps us understand what's in between. What's written in there helps us to see what the text is intended to say. Right? As I mentioned earlier, all these words, these phrases, they're determined by the context. Sentences, right? words are put together in phrases. Phrases are put together to form sentences. Sentences are put together to form paragraphs. Paragraphs form chapters. Chapters form books. And 66 books form the Bible. Right? All of these things come together. And so within the literary context, we're going to have the context of the chapter of the book. Right? The chapter is important to pay attention to. We're going to have the book, the context of the entire book as a whole, all of Colossians. That's why we read it just a few moments ago. But then we're also going to have the context of canon. And canon is simply a really academic way of saying the entire Bible, all 66 books. Right? This is what we have. This is what God has chosen to reveal himself in. And so we want to consider all of those levels of context when we are interpreting this passage, when we are interpreting this text. And those things help us and they inform how we interpret what the author meant. And then lastly, we have, I call this the generic context. So this is paying attention to the genre. We observe that this is a letter that Paul wrote. And I love this part. I love genres because I was an English major. Um, and I'm kind of a nerd like that. But genre really is kind of helping us understand not just what is said, but how it's said. How many of you guys have ever said or seen an argument where people are saying, it's not what you said, it's how you said it, right? How we say things is just as informative as what we say. I can say to you, oh, I, I love, I love Brussels sprouts. They're so good. And you automatically know from hearing me say it that way that I don't love Brussels sprouts. <laughs> I don't love Brussels sprouts. They're not my favorite food, but it's okay. I eat them occasionally because they're cooked in my house. But what you say, we want to pay attention to the genre because what is said is just as important as how it's said. 
but how it's said helps us understand what is being said. There are all sorts of genres in Scripture, right? Colossians is a letter. The book of Psalms is not a letter. The book of Psalms is poetry, right? The book of Genesis is not a letter. It's a historical narrative. The book of Jonah, it's prophecy, right? All of these things, right? There are all of these genres in the Bible, and those two are inspired. Those two are just as important as understanding what's being said. And if we miss genre, or if we miss how it's being said, we're going to make a jump, we're going to apply something, and we're going to misapply it. Right? When, when the psalmist says, your word is sweeter than honey to my lips, is he literally like eating the Bible? No. No, he's, it's a metaphor. And we read it like a metaphor. But that's an example of genre. That's an example that what is said and how it's said are equally important and that they help us understand and determine meaning. So the book of Colossians, what genre is it? We said it earlier. It's an epistle, right? That's a letter. There are these very personal elements of writing a letter. One guy that I read, one commentator, he said, for Paul, the epistolary or the, the letter was an extension of his presence. It's the embodiment of his person and the fellowship he shared with those he was writing to. And all of this as a vehicle, right, as a means to communicate his apostolic authority and influence. We talked about how Paul mentions, I'm an apostle. That's the authority that has been given to me by God. As an apostle, I have in some way the right to, to, to address you as such. Right? Now, Paul is not saying that you ought to listen to me. He's not proclaiming Christ in Colossians. He is proclaiming Christ in Colossians. He's not proclaiming himself in Colossians. He's proclaiming Christ. Right? And so this letter, this book of Colossians, was written in such a way that it would have this personal relational elements with it. And I believe that Colossians read it as such. Right? He wrote it to them. There was probably, it could have been a group like this. Right? He wrote it to, to them, to the Colossians. And he chose to write it that way so that they would know, I care about you. How many times does he talk about being thankful for the Colossians and their salvation? How many times does he say, we thank God for you, we're always praying for you, right? Man, we're so proud of you, we're glad that Epaphras shared the gospel with you. That's all because, man, he wants them to know what the main thing is. He wants them to get it. He wants them to get that interpret or he wants them to get that Christ is preeminent. So, it's enough of me talking. It's your turn. Go ahead, back in your groups. Everyone's looking at the same text this time. We're all going to look at chapter 1, 15 through 20. And now we're going to try to kind of understand what this text means. What did it mean to the Colossians? Right? What is Paul intending to communicate to those who are his primary readers? Don't quite jump yet and say, this is what it means to me. Hold off. We're going to get to that in just a minute. But let's look at it. What did it mean to the Colossians?
in your groups try to formulate like one central statement or like sentence that really captures what this text means to audience to its audience. All right, everyone, let's go ahead and bring it back in. I hate to cut your time short, but I want to kind of jump into this, and then I want you to get to the point where you can apply it with those in your group. So does anybody have kind of one concise statement that summarizes, man, this is what Paul was saying to the Colossians. This Jesus is God. Yeah, I love that. Anybody else have anything? Christ holds it all together. That's right. That's great. Anybody else? He's supreme. That's right. Anybody else have anything? That's right. Exactly. Yeah. That's right. That's right. So, this is my statement. Had a little bit more time to think about it. But, man, this, this I think, kind of captures what he means. Christ alone is God Almighty. He is Lord of all, and in Him and for Him all things exist and are sustained, redeemed, and reconciled to God. Therefore, salvation and life for the Colossians only makes sense when it's centered on Christ. All that's going on in their world, all of the false teaching that they're encountering, all of these people who are coming at them with probably really smart things. They're wrong, but they're smart. It sounds great. It's just not true. Right? In this world where these Colossians, they're, they're hearing all these things and these people, they're starting to persuade them. Persuade them to believe, well, actually your salvation is dependent on the gospel plus X. Now, actually, you need to do this if you're really going to be a mature Christian, right? If you're really going to be a mature Christian, you need to do these things, right? Or, man, that, that Jesus only thing, right? That can't be true. Right? We got to kind of bring all of these things together and that's, that's where it is, right? That's where, where truth is. It's got to be some sort of combination of all of these things, right? We can all coexist, right? No. No, Paul is saying that Christ is preeminent. He is the number one thing. He is the main thing. I was listening to a sermon by Matt Chandler, actually on this very text, and this is what he said. I thought this was really, really helpful. He said, Christ is not first on a list of priorities that we make. Instead... He is the very paper on which we write our priorities, right? We don't put him kind of first. We say, all right, Christ is first, and then these things, this is second. This is, there's no second when we look at Christ. There's nothing that comes second to him. Nothing even compares. And so even when we consider our priorities, Christ is the foundation on which we lay them. He's the paper on which we write them. 
He's not first as if he, he ranks among them in any way. No, he's, he's preeminent. But he alone is God. He was there before. He'd be there forever. In him, the world was made. In him, all things consist. In him, we have been reconciled to the Father. And Paul is saying to the Colossians, you have to get this. Remember this. Right, the context right around, he's, he's talking about, man, this is the message. Christ is the one who saved you. Look at verse 20, 21. Right? Christ is the one who saved you. Right? 14 and 21, both of these kind of book in this text. And Paul is saying your salvation is founded on this thing. Your very salvation is founded on Christ. So remember that. And don't lose that. Matter of fact, that's going to be your center. That's going to be your balancing point. So if you, you tip off to the right or you tip off to the left or someone tells you you need to do this, you need to do that, if you're like, nah, man, that's not Christ. That's not pointing me back to Christ. Matter of fact, Christ said this. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So I don't need these things to live a life that is pleasing to God. Not at all. We do away with those things. So that is what Paul is trying to communicate to the Colossians. And I believe that is what God is trying to communicate to us. So now we're going to take some time to apply this text to our lives. Now you can ask the question, what does this mean for me? But also once you consider what does this mean for us, right? Not just consider Josiah, right? But Josiah, how does this text inform your relationship with other brothers and sisters in Christ? How does this inform how we should live as Christians? Remember, Paul is writing this to a church. So let's interpret it also like a church, a community of people, right? So in your groups, actually, I don't want you to do your groups quite yet. Take a moment personally to look at this text, understand its meaning, as it was intended to be communicated, understand this meaning to the Colossians, and then write down in your notes, what does this mean, we'll say for me. Right? What does this mean for me? In my life, people try to tell me X. That's not the gospel. I need to be reminded that Christ is the center in this area. Right? Take time. Write that down. And then after that, right, don't just write it down and then forget it. Live it out. Right, live it out. This should be life-changing, transformative. God's Word, it reads us. It discerns our hearts and our intentions. And we must come to it in faith, in prayer, humbly, and in obedience. So if you write down something and you say, man, this is, this is either an action step or this is what this means for me, Right, this is what God is saying to me through this text and how I ought to apply it. In light of all that we've done before, walk in that. Walk in that from this day forward. Do that, and then maybe we'll give it a few minutes. Once you have that down and you see that those in your group have it down, go ahead and talk about that, and then even talk about how can you, in your community, with your other friends who are Christians, apply this truth as well apply this truth 
as well. And once you do that, talk about that. Ben's going to come up. He's going to close us out tonight. And he's also going to let you know a little bit about next week. All right, we're going to close it down for tonight. We are just so excited that you were able to join us for our first night of Centered on Christ, walking through the book of Colossians. All right, get your pens and papers. I'm going to give you some promises for next week that you can go to the bank on. Hopefully it's a good bank. Uh, but next week, expect a better space. We're going to have a bigger room. Okay? All right? Also, I need you to expect better sound. We're going to make sure that you can hear everything that's being said. More air conditioning. And candy on the tables. All right? So... On top of all of that, we are going to have... Derek Ewalt, he's going to be coming and he's going to be working with us. Now that we kind of have a base of, base of how we treat the text as we observe and we interpret and we apply it, now he's going to bring in some resources, some Bible dictionaries, some commentaries, and kind of walk through how to better use that. And that's going to increase uh, your understanding, your observation of the text. Many of you have a daily reading plan. You are going through the Bible in a year. There's a tendency that what we do is we just read and we close it and we walk away. My encouragement to you is that if you have, if you're going through the, year, the Bible in a year, pick a section that you're going to study on top of the reading. So take a New Testament passage or the Pro Proverbs or the Psalms or the New Testament and study it, observe, interpret, and apply. That way you're just not going into the text and reading it and then walking away, right? Let's try to do that this week.